I usually look for something as I'm preparing that's going to help me. I figure if it does something for me, maybe it'll do something for you too. So we're going to be this morning in one verse in Proverbs 4.23. Proverbs 4.23, we're going to take a single verse and then we'll add a lot of other verses to it as we go through the message. I'm going to speak on the power of emotions. The power of emotions. And navigating the positive and the negative part of emotions because they both exist. Proverbs 4.23 Keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. Father, we pray that you'd bless us in this hour. Lord, we pray that you'd calm our hearts, open our hearts, and Lord, let our hearts be receptive to the word of God and that part that's in our heart that might lead us in the wrong direction, we pray that you'd stifle it, calm it, keep it at bay as we hear the word of God that we might be able to keep a rein on this thing we call emotions. I pray that you'd bless us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Emotions are a precious gift from God. When God created man in the Garden of Eden, they had emotions. Now, the fall hadn't taken place there yet, and so those emotions were pretty well controlled because sin had not entered in. And as we journey this morning through the timeless pages of our King James Bible, we're going to see that emotions, not only having a positive effect, can also lead us down the wrong path. And if we don't handle it with godly wisdom and discernment, we can end up with decisions and circumstances that hurt us more than they help us. I think individuals, families, churches, and our nation are all suffering from a loss of logic, character, and spiritual discernment more than ever before in history. I just believe it's that way. We live in crazy times. Would you agree with that? I think vastly different than we've seen before. Craziness has always been present among us, but not at the rate that it is now. Emotionalism is driving our country. It's driving our culture. Emotional decisions, emotional actions, rather than the precious word of God, rather than even the wisdom that our forefathers held to that was largely based on the word of God, it seems to have mostly disappeared. And except for the godly folks who still read the Bible and attend church and try to live a Christian life, it seems like everything else has gone completely haywire. Emotionalism. Uh, it's driving our politics. It's causing dysfunctional families. Churches many times are falling down or falling apart. And you may have wondered, well, if our nation is divided and families are divided and even churches are divided, what difference can I make amongst it all? Well, I think that's where it starts at the grassroots level. <laughs> because the 
the world didn't go crazy all at once. It happened like knocking over a row of dominoes. One individual, another individual, they raise children, and they're affected by the culture that they're raised in, and it spreads like wildfire. Emotionalism. Using our feelings instead of the Word of God. That is where the danger is. Look at our verse one more time. Proverbs 4.23. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. We notice several words in this verse. Let's do just a little teaching right here. The first word we see that pays, that we ought to pay a great deal of attention to in its context, the heart is the context of this verse. It's the subject of this verse, the heart. The heart is the seat of emotions. And that's where our feelings originate. The heart uh, contains the concepts of joy, anger, happiness, contentedness, sadness, sympathy, compassion, and jealousy, satisfaction, anxiety. All those, just a few of the emotions that originate in our heart. And when we're talking about the heart, we're not talking about the, the physical function, but the heart of man, the seat of the emotions, the very center of our being, the heart. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. The heart as the originator of our feelings, our emotions. And it is powerful because it can overcome our logic, our wisdom, our reasoning, and the second word I want you to notice is keep. We're in the subject of the heart, and then he says to keep it. It's a word instructing and guarding us, uh, commanding us to guard our hearts so that, well, it's like our heart is like, uh, guarding our heart is like taking the steering wheel of a car. I mean, if you're in charge of that car, you've got your hands on the steering wheel, maybe the feet on the pedals, and you steer that car, and you make it go where you want it to go. But the problem comes when emotions are out of order. It's like being on a runaway horse, man. We're running down the road and the horse is doing its thing. We don't know if we're going to stay on or get bucked off. So keep it. The Bible says in our verse that the heart is the central part of our emotions and that we ought to keep it like the steering wheel of a car. And then he says that we're to keep it with diligence. Notice that word diligence in our verse. Diligence. It indicates that the heart is not able to be controlled as though it were on autopilot. It's not like it was a one-time decision. Just because we got saved doesn't mean our heart is always going to be just set on biblical autopilot and do the right thing. Because the Bible says the heart is deceptive. It's, it's wicked. It's deceitful. And so... The word there that says keep it with diligence means that I've got to keep an eye on it. If I take my eye off for very long and if I don't keep my eye back on my heart, it can get out of control in a hurry. That's why we're to keep it with diligence. And then the, notice that last phrase of the verse, the, out of it are the issues of life. That phrase ends the verse and it's the phrase that shows the conclusion to the way we react to our Emotional decisions. Out of it are the issues of the heart. If my heart is guiding me instead of the scriptures, instead of logic and wisdom, if I'm acting out of emotionalism, then you have what's going on in America today where people are just doing crazy stuff and nobody seems like is interested in hearing logic anymore. 
They're just doing whatever they feel like doing. Emotionals are feelings that stimulate. I mean, this is a stimulation. Emotions can make people do stuff that seems to some of us it's just totally unreasonable. They are a stimulating effect, whether it be good or bad. Would you agree with that? Whether it be good or bad. Uh, well, for instance, hearing some patriotic music. Now, most of us, have, if we've got our head on right and we hear some patriotic music, it might stir the emotion of pride, the good kind of pride in our country. We love our country. And so hearing some patriotic music may cause us to have an affection that begins to surface for our country. Hearing some marching music. Man, you hear some marching music. I don't know about you, but it makes me want to, man, I start, my body wants to start moving with the marching move. That's an emotion that is powerful. Um, here's an emotion. What, have you ever seen a bully? Maybe on social media or something or on TV in a movie or something. You see a bully that hurts some innocent person. What does that cause in you? You, you get mad, don't you? And rightly so. That anger that wells up. You see somebody who's totally innocent and somebody comes along and just brutally attacks them. It makes your heart go out for them. And you feel anger towards that bully. That's the power of emotion. Watching kids play together, maybe on a playground. You see them laughing and they're swinging and playing on the teeter-totter and they're running and chasing each other and just having a good time. They're laughing. What does that do? That kind of stirs up some joy in your heart, doesn't it? It just makes you feel good. You think, Man, those little guys, those little tykes, those little tykes are just having a time, boy. <laughs> makes me want to jump on the teeter-totter with them. <laughs> Get on the merry-go-round. And, and so that's what emotions do to us. They, they propel those feelings. Uh, Snuggling with your spouse creates those warm, fuzzy feelings of excitement. And rightly so. That's good. In the context of marriage, it's a good thing. But what about the bad things? What about a, a former cigarette smoker? He's in a crowd that's all fired up and they're smoking around him and he's trying to quit. And, and they, that, this guy that's quit, he's trying to get the victory and he smells that aroma Smells so good to him for years, and he smells that cigarette smoke. What does it do? It stirs up emotions of pleasure in him. You think, man, I enjoy smoking. And so he might be tempted to grab one of those cigarettes and light up too. What about the alcoholic who is recovering and he's he's around some friends who are drinking and he smells the he smells the booze that he loves so good. And like it says in Proverbs, the, the Bible says if we gaze on it, if we look upon it. Uh, it's going to cause it to bite us like a serpent. And so the guy who's a recovering alcoholic, he gets around people who's, who's drinking, and it could make him want to get involved with it again. So you see how powerful emotions can be, for good or for bad. Emotional, the emotional makeup of humans was created by God in the Garden of Eden, so it's not... That it's a bad thing, it's just a, a thing that got corrupted because, because of the fall. And since we realize that we are fallen creatures, even though we may be saved, 
and have a new nature within us, we still have the old nature to battle with. And the old nature is going to try to dominate your emotions and cause you to give in to those that's going to lead you down the wrong path. It becomes our responsibility then to take the steering wheel of our emotions. You ever drive a car that's out of alignment? It's constantly, maybe it's pulling one way or the other. It's trying to run you in the ditch over here. And you've got to constantly tug back on it. That's the way the old nature works on your emotions. It'll stir up feelings that are strong. I mean, you really are moved by those emotions. And it's like a steering wheel that you've got to keep pulling back on. And the car is out of alignment or it'll run you in the ditch. And <clears throat> it's the same kind of emotion. Do you remember the story of Gehazi in the Old Testament? Gehazi was a, he was a servant to the man of God, the prophet Elisha. And Naaman came over to see if Elisha could heal him. And sure enough, he called on the power of God. And, and Naaman got healed from his leprosy. And Naaman, being wealthy, offered to pay Elisha for this healing effect. And Elisha, knowing full well that it was God that did the healing, not me. <laughs> and so he said, no, I don't need your gifts. And so... Naaman begins to go away, back to his homeland with his servants. And as he goes out of sight, old Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, he gets to thinking. Now see, this is where we get in trouble. <laughs> when we begin to dwell on those emotions that we know full well at the beginning, they are deceitful and they're trying to trap us. It's like cheese on the mousetrap. And so Gehazi gets to thinking, well, man... Those gifts, that silver and gold and change of raiments and all that stuff, those are valuable things. Why didn't my master take those? Man, it would have been fine if he'd received those gifts from Naaman, or from, yeah, from Naaman to Elisha. And so Gehazi begins to dwell on that. And the emotion wells up inside of him of covetousness. And he begins to think, well, since... My master Elisha didn't take the silver and the gold, the treasures, the garments. Since he didn't take it, I just wonder, somebody ought to have those things. I mean, Naaman's from another country. One of us ought to have it. And he thinks about it some more, and he thinks about it some more, and he's, he's letting those emotions, you see where we're going? Those emotions begin to well up and get stronger, and they get a grip on his mind. And pretty soon he's giving in. Little by little his inhibitions are going away. It's like getting drunk. Every drink you take of liquor, a little more of your inhibitions dissolve. And so as he, Gehazi, gives in to lingering on the thoughts of those treasures that somebody ought to have, and finally he says, you know, somebody ought to have that. And I just guess since... Elisha's not going to take it. It ought to be me. So he takes off following old Naaman. He catches up with him and deceitfully, deceitfully he says, hey, you know, my master changed his mind. He said he'd take a little bit of that gold and silver and garments anyway. <laughs> Lying. See, 
He was a servant. He's been working for God. He's working for the man of God, and, and he's been in the service of God. And so he wouldn't have thought about lying before, but he's given in to those emotions that were nagging and tugging and pulling at him until he gets to the point where he says, I'm going for it. And so he goes then and lies to Naaman. And then he comes back, and after he gets the goods, he comes back and lies to Elisha. So no, I didn't get anything. Elisha said, yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. And it's going to cost you. And the leprosy that claved to Naaman is now going to cleave to you and your family. You see, emotions, we think at the first, it doesn't hurt to think about it a little bit, but as we think about it a little bit, our emotions cause us to want more of it. It's like nicotine. It's like alcohol. It's like drugs. And it brings you in closer and closer to your own feelings where the word of God now and the character and the wisdom that you've had in the past no longer mean anything much now because our feelings are taking control and like the steering wheel of that car is pulling us towards the ditch and we finally just relax our grip and off she goes. That's what happened to Gehazi and that's what happens to people who rely on their emotions their feelings, rather than the word of God. David, King David lingered in Jerusalem. I mean, he's now, Saul's dead, David's the king, he's got the palace, he's leading the nation. People are glad to have him. He's got a great army. And so the armies go out and they're they're doing battle. They're engaged in war. But the Bible says David lingered yet behind when it's time for kings to go to battle. David stayed behind at Jerusalem. He's just going to take it easy. And so he's up on the housetop, just minding his own business, but he had kicked his, he had kicked his heart into neutral. Now his heart had the opportunity to guide him instead of God. And so he's just hanging out in his room upstairs and he's, Bored. That's why it's not good for people to be bored. Don't be bored. Do something. Do something good. <laughs> I, somebody, I saw somebody, a friend of mine, that you wouldn't know, but uh, a friend of mine said yesterday they were bored and said, uh, and she was a middle-aged lady. She said she was bored. I've known her ever since she was a child. And she said, I'm, I'm just bored. What? What could I do on a Saturday afternoon? And some people are telling, well, go to this or go to that or do this or call somebody, go with somebody and do these different things. I said, you know, as hot as it is, this might be a good day just to sit by an air conditioner vent and read. But do something. Well, David's in Jerusalem, and while he's looking out the window, down there on the rooftop below, somebody else who's kicked their heart into neutral... And out there washing herself in plain open view, David's looking down and says, boy, she looks good. Now, he knows what the Bible teaches about adultery and fornication. He knows that. It's not like he was just ignorant. What happened then? Well, his heart began to say, hey, look at her. See, the heart's deceitful and desperately wicked. And so his heart said, look at her. 
He says, no, I probably shouldn't. Hart says, yeah, go ahead and look. It's all right. You're, just, you're a long ways from her. It's all right. Go ahead and look. And, so, and the devil can get a hold of your heart. And so he's looking down on her and he's saying, well, he's just admiring the beauty of a physical anatomy. But the heart and its emotions begin to get a stronger and stronger grip. And pretty soon he says, man, she's all alone. She's beautiful. I have a desire for her now. And so when that kind of sexual desire comes on, <laughs> logic and the Bible goes out the window. And now the heart has the steering wheel. And he says to his servants, hey, go get her and bring her up here. I need to talk to her. And you know the rest of the story. Emotions. When we dwell on something, listen, when we dwell on something and we keep thinking, keep thinking, keep thinking, and we lay aside logic, reason, wisdom, and the word of God, then our heart and emotions become the compelling force. And so David, you know the consequences that happened to him. From there he went to murder. From there he lost his child. The rest of his children went crazy. Judgment fell off. You see, you, you have freedom as a Christian, as a believer, as a human being. You have freedom to make whatever decision you want to make. But you don't have freedom from the consequences for that decision. Let me give you just a couple of points quickly. The positive effects of emotions. Well, there's love and compassion. We're talking about the positive thing. There are some good things about emotions. When they come under control of God's wisdom and God's word. Positive effects of emotion, well, love and compassion. In John eleven thirty five, 35, Jesus at the grave of Lazarus, it says Jesus wept. And that's okay. Jesus wept not just because Lazarus was dead, but I think he was weeping because all those other people around him were heartbroken because Lazarus had died. And Jesus wept. He showed compassion. I remember at my dad's funeral... Man, it caught us unexpectedly. We didn't know he was going to die. I mean, he hadn't been sick or anything, and he just died of a heart attack suddenly at 69. And so I was in shock over it. I loved my dad. And so when we went to the funeral, I'm sitting there on the front row uh, in a little country uh, church house by the graveyard. And, and, man, I'm just I'm having trouble getting it all together. And I remember my best friend growing up, Ron Erie, you know, they'd have a line to come by and shake your hand, uh, the family's hands as they file out after the end of the funeral. Ron Airy came by. He saw my heart was broken. I mean, the tears were flowing so profusely. It broke his heart. And when Ron got to me, I was sitting there, and Ron came by, and when he put his hands on my shoulders, I remembered all the times we'd spent together doing different things and running around growing up and, I just stood up and fell on his shoulders and he embraced me and, and was rubbing my head and patting my back and just trying to make me feel a little better. Of course, not a lot that can make you feel better at a time like that. Boy, he sure did have compassion and he was trying. Jesus had that kind of compassion. And it's good when you and me, when you and I have that kind of compassion. It'll also produce the, the positive effects of 
of emotions can be joy and gratitude. The, the Bible says in Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. The, the, the Lord's telling us through his word that we ought to rejoice. And, and rejoicing is a good, a good emotion, joy. Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts and be ye thankful. Those are thankfulness and peace. Our feelings, emotions, those are good things. And then there's empathy and sympathy that are good, good emotions. Empathy and sympathy. When I was uh, 11 years old, a friend of mine, we lived in Chicago and, and in the heart of Chicago near the lake, and a friend of mine had family that worked at a factory that was having a fair, kind of a carnival. And he invited me to go. Everything was free. You could ride all the rides and eat all the hot dogs for free and drink all the pop you wanted. Well, 11-year-old kids thinking, man, this is great. And so I went with him, and, and he, we rode up there to Fox Lake. It was probably between 50 and 100 miles out of Chicago, towards, uh, I think it was towards Milwaukee. <laughs> and we rode with his aunt and uncle up there and their kids. And so when we got up there, <clears throat> his aunt and uncle said, now when, when everything begins to shut down, we'll leave and we'll, uh, we'll pick you guys up. You come and find us. We'll be, they had a bandstand there with a band and some, I guess, some dancing and stuff. And so we were supposed to meet them back there. We were there and we got... Me and Charlie, man, we're just we're excited about being on the rides. We're riding the Ferris wheel, and we're riding the, the tilt-a-whirl, and we're riding the roller coaster, and we're just riding everything, you know. And we stop for a little bit and go get us another hot dog and a Coke and some tiny chips, and then we'll go ride something else. Man, we're just going full speed ahead. Next thing we know, it's like 10.30 or 11 o'clock. And so we go to that bandstand where we're supposed to meet his parents and, or his uh, aunt and uncle, and they're gone. They got drunk and left us. <laughs> They just left us. Here we are, two 11-year-old kids, 80 miles out of Chicago, and we ain't got a clue what we're supposed to do. I said, Charlie, do you know anybody else that's here that we could ride with? He said, no, the rest of these people are strangers to me. And, man, we were frantically searching for some way. There were buses that were supposed to take uh, the rest of the employees who had come to the carnival, carnival, and the buses that were going to take them back. We went down to the bus lot, and, man, the buses are all gone. And... Now we're getting pretty sad. <laughs> and a police officer saw us searching frantically, and he could tell, you know, that something wasn't right. So a police officer came over and asked us what was going on, and, and we told him the story, you know. And he said, well, guys, get in the car. He said, I'll see what I can do to help you out. And he drove around the place, couldn't find any buses left or anybody going back into Chicago for us to ride with. He had compassion on us, though. He treated us like we were his own kids. And he said, guys, he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. He said, since we've got no way to get you home, it's too far for me to take you. I'm on duty. He said, but I'll tell you what I'll do. He said, I'll, I'll take you to my house, and my wife will feed you some supper, and, and you can hang out at our house until we can get a hold of your parents to come and get you. So he took us to his own home. And we're talking about a police officer. We didn't even know. <laughs> he took us to his home. His wife fixed us some food. I'm not sure we ate any of it. We were scared to death. <laughs> he, 
And he said, I'm going to let you have, he said, we've got a spare room in here uh, that you can go and you can lay down and rest a while. Cause he said, I'm going to call your parents and I'll get them to come and get you. And so we laid there and rested. I'm not sure I slept any either because I, I figured my dad's not going to be real happy when he comes 80 miles at 2 a.m. to pick us up. <laughs> and so that police officer had compassion on us. Compassion is a good emotion. You got compassion on the right person in the right scenario. <clears throat> but notice the negative effects of emotions. Anger and wrath. Ephesians 4.27 says, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Be ye angry. See, there are times when we get angry and sometimes even rightly so. But the problem is that too many times we get angry for the wrong reasons and at the wrong people. Anger gets out of hand. Anger is like a, it's like, it's like somebody who's drunk. People who are drunk do things they wouldn't normally do. Are you listening? When you're drunk, you do things you wouldn't normally do, things that you know that would be forbidden from the Word of God and the wisdom of God. We wouldn't do things like that if we were sober. But we get drunk, we'll do crazy stuff. We hurt people, maybe hurt ourselves, disappoint the Lord. But anger is the same way. Anger, once it gets hold, but some people got a quick trigger. <laughs> some people just fly off fly off the handle suddenly, they have hardly any control. And it's become a way of life to them. They haven't really zeroed in on letting God have control of those situations, and so they just fly off real easy. They get offended over little things. Even if they decide later that they need to repent and get things right, it still doesn't heal those broken hearts that it caused anger and if we sit around and dwell on things maybe somebody's wronged us maybe they really did wrong us and we sit around we think about it we dwell on it we roll it over in our mind somebody did us wrong and we roll it over and roll it over and roll it over and the more times we roll it over the hotter the anger becomes and people have destroyed marriages. People have destroyed church fellowships. People have destroyed, people have destroyed our nation because of uncontrolled anger. James 1.19 says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. I worked with a fellow back in, I guess it was in 1972 along in there. We were building houses at Horseshoe Bend up in Izzard County. It was a retirement village. And I was working on a, a framing crew. We'd frame houses. We would come in after the foundation was down. We'd come in and frame up the floor and build the, frame the walls and, and get the rafters up. And once it got the decking on it, we were through. We'd move on to the next house. We put the siding on, dry it in, they called it. That was when it would rain, it wouldn't get wet inside of it. And so 
Barney was one of the guys I worked with. He's about my age, maybe a few months younger. Barney was his nickname. I won't call his real name. <laughs> but he was the sawyer. Usually, like if we were putting up siding, most of us would be up on the scaffolds handling the, the four by eight sheets of siding, putting them up. One man would be on the ground doing the sawing, cutting the angles. We were putting it up on gable end. You had those angles to cut. Going up this side and down that side, you have a long angle on each piece of four foot by eight foot siding. Barney cut this one piece and he came over and hoisted it up to us on the scaffold. And we put it up there and the angle was exactly backwards. <laughs> and those sheets of siding back then were probably 20 bucks or so. They're probably closer to 100 now, I guess. <laughs> but he threw that one down and got a new piece of siding up there. And he measured it and chalked it off and sawed it again. So he brings that one over there and hoists it up onto the scaffold to us. And you never guess. It was wrong too. We said, Barney, you cut it wrong again. Man, this time he's cussing and stomping and spitting and snorting. He throws that one down. He gets a third piece of siding, lays it on the sawhorses. He measures it off, chalks it, saws it, hands it up to us. <laughs> yeah, it was wrong. You know what he did? You think he let his anger get out of hand? He took that thing and he gently laid it on the sawhorses, gently walked around. He had, a, all of us carried a big 22-ounce framing hammer with straight claws on it. He walked around calmly to the side of it and he yanked that 22-ounce framing hammer out and turned it around with the claws, the straight claws down, and he beat that piece of siding till every hole in it, you could see through it like a sifter. I mean, he was a madman. He's gone crazy. His anger was out of control. Some people do that to their friendships and to their marriages, to their churches, and to our nation. Anger out of control. What about envy and jealousy? Those are not positives. Anger and jealousy, those are negative emotions that can... Do a lot of harm. Proverbs 14.30 says, A sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy the rottenness of the bones. 1 Corinthians 3.3 For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying, strife, and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? Envy and jealousy. How much destruction does that do? We're talking about emotions that get control of us because we focus on the feelings more than the Lord and asking ourselves, is this what God really wants me to do? Is this what the Bible really says I'm supposed to do? Am I supposed to yank out a hammer and beat this up? Am I supposed to be jealous of my spouse who went to the grocery store? Am I supposed to envy somebody who's got things that I don't have? And if we roll those things over, we're talking about letting those things get hold of us. Hey, as one guy said, you might have a thought, a fleeting thought that you can't control. But just like you can't keep a bird from flying into your hair, you can keep it from building a nest there. Fear and anxiety. 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy 1.7 Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God 
The peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep, keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. You know what we read in our original text verse? Keeping our hearts. So what should we do about that? Maybe we should pray instead of letting the emotions and the feelings get a grip on us. When we were in Washington State, I was 16 years old, and there was three of us teenage boys living together. Well, yeah, I think we were all still teenagers at the time. And three of us were living in the orchard. We were thinning apples, working in the fruit orchards. That was our goal and ambition for life at the time. And so we're working in the fruit orchards, and the orchard owner had a house in the middle of the orchard. It was a two-story house. And we were upstairs one evening, me and Benny and Dallas, and they were, they were cousins. I was no relation. We were just friends. And so we're up in the, up on, in the bedroom of the second story and looking out the window and just talking dumb stuff like sometimes not just teenagers, but everybody will do. We're talking about dumb stuff. And so Dallas and I, we tried to compel Benny to jump out the second story window to the ground. Benny said, I ain't jumping out that window. Well, he said, you're a coward, aren't you? He said, well, I'm not a coward, but I don't want to jump out the second story window. And we just kept harassing him and haranguing him and, and calling him sissy. And You got no guts. You can't jump out that window because you're afraid. Now, we shouldn't have done any of that. We were lost as a goose in a hailstorm. And we were dumb. But we kept needling Benny until he said, all right, I'll show you I'm not afraid. And he leaped out the second story window. Hit the ground at the bottom. He was so sore he couldn't go to work the next day. (laughs) What caused him to do that? I mean, that's against wisdom. That's against gravity. (laughs) That's dumb. Why would he do such a crazy thing? Because we harassed him until he gave in to those feelings of fear of being rejected by those that he wanted to impress. You know why a lot of people in America today are doing things that are dumb and totally out of sorts with the Bible and wisdom. They're doing stupid stuff because they care what others think about them inordinately. As one guy said, I'm old now and I don't care what people think. I used to care what people think, and then I finally figured out they're not thinking about me anyway. (laughs) Well, we ought to maintain a testimony as a Christian, but we can't go around trying to satisfy everybody in the world. The one we have to satisfy wrote this book, and that's the one we have to yield to. So how do we navigate these emotions? By prayer and surrender, Having a renewed mind, Romans 12, 2. Seeking wisdom. It's our job to seek God's will before making foolish decisions. Our world is muddled up and it's crazy. I heard about the rooster that saw scrambled eggs for the first time. He said to the hen, I go some, some of our crazy mixed up kids. You know what's happening in America? There's a lot of crazy, mixed-up kids. 
And it's because we've left God out of the equation. It's because we've forsaken any semblance of wisdom that originated in the Word of God. Kids puncture their bodies with piercings and color their hair like the rainbow and make their bodies like an art canvas in order to say, hey, notice me. Please notice me. Somebody accept me. Please let me into your crew. Let me into your club. Let me into your gang. And they do all kinds of stupid stuff that they should know better. But we've come so far of following emotions and feelings instead of wisdom in the Word of God that we're doing stuff that's ruining our nation. How do we wrap all of this up? Well, there's three keys to overcome unhealthy domination of our feelings. Number one, stay connected. Stay connected to the reality of God. That's why I, I say the easiest way to stay connected is make sure you have a time with God where you, where you can read and read His Word and pray and communicate with God. Go to church. Stay connected with God's people. We don't need to be connected with the weirdos, but stay connected with God's people. Second thing we can do, the second key to avoid being controlled by our feelings is avoidance of strong temptation. We have no business as fallen creatures of placing ourselves purposely in the midst of temptation. If I'm a former drunk, it would be really dumb for me to go down and have a 7-Up at the beer joint. Say, well, there's nothing wrong with drinking a 7-Up. I'm surrounding myself with the booze. I can see it on the wall. I'm surrounded by friends who are laughing and having a big time. And I can smell it. I can see it. And I can almost feel it. Why in the world would I put myself in a strong place of temptation? Men and women place ourselves in a place of strong temptation when we make ourselves alone with a member of the opposite sex that we're not married to. That'd be good to teach our teenagers. <laughs> Third key, growing your positive emotions. How do we root out the negative emotions of anger and fear and anxiety and so forth? Grow those strong ones of compassion and love and kindness. Look at Galatians and see the fruit of the Spirit and say, am I surrendered to the Spirit where He can grow that kind of fruit in my life? And if we allow the Holy Spirit of God to grow the fruit of the Spirit in our life, we can crowd out a good portion of that unruly, heartfelt emotion that will lead us in the wrong direction. We must seek to honor God with our emotions, embrace the positive effects, guard our heart continually, Monitor what's going on in your heart. You catch yourself thinking about things you shouldn't be thinking about. Just grab the steering wheel and swing back the other way and get back away from the ditch. We have to guard our heart. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you'd bless us. And Lord, help us to understand how to gain victories over those negative emotions that would have us to go in the wrong direction. 
Lord, bless us, strengthen us, fill us with thy spirit. Lord, for those who may not be saved, I pray that today they'd trust the Lord Jesus Christ who died on Calvary to pay for the sins that they're guilty of. Lord, I pray that you'd bless in an unusual way in our invitation time. In Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Would you please?